You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law Corporation, and with me, yet again, my co-hostess with the mostest, Paul Doroshenko. Hello. How are you, Kyla? Um, I'm okay. It's been, like, a really, like, busy week. I mean, I had an appeal of the Court of Appeal. I was doing IRP hearings. I had a bunch of meetings on all these like things I'm involved in. I just feel like I haven't stopped moving. And I had a colonoscopy. So you did stop moving. <laughs> I did stop moving. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I didn't stop moving in the prep, as you, anybody nope. who's ever had one nope. knows. Nope, nope, yeah. never again. Unpleasant. Good Lord. That's the way it goes. Well, did you, um, did you survive the colonoscopy? Are you filled with colon cancer? Uh, well, I'm not filled with colon cancer, um, as far as I know, but they did some biopsies, but you know, I'm in my fifties, right? So they did biopsies? What... They didn't take out polyps? They took out, they, they, they did both. Yeah, they did both. Um, well, Welcome to my, the colonoscopy my, my, podcast. My grandfather died from, uh, from colon cancer. So it's, uh, something I'm regularly checked on and here I am. Right. And, um, I'm in my fifties. So this is. You know, so you're old and decrepit. I'm old and decrepit, and I lead a you know stressful life of a lawyer. Okay, well that's fair. Um, speaking of a stressful life of a lawyer, <laughs> I was reading this news story actually, like literally after we recorded the podcast last week. I went and read the BC Supreme Court cases for that day that we recorded, the Thursday. And ordinarily I read them before, but I thought, oh, you know, we have enough to talk about this week, we won't get to anything, so I'll read them, you know, after the podcast, as I do every day. And lo and behold, a major decision on the distracted driving law had been published that day. Was that on the Thursday or the Friday? It was published on the Thursday, oh, okay. but, like, we yeah. didn't notice it, because... Well, you usually look, look at them in the morning, but not look. every morning, yeah. Yeah, well, I usually look in the morning if I have time when they're when they're first put out, or I look like at the end of the day before I go to bed. It was an interesting decision, uh, Justice Voith. Um, Justice Voith, yes. And um, yeah, it it made a lot of sense, but you really had to read through it. But it came down to drawing a different distinction of use and operate. You're way ahead of the game here, Paul. Let's Sorry. tell the people what okay. the case is about. Sure. So it's Mr. Blue, blue, Well, we didn't know. I was on I Mike Smith's show, and he didn't know how to pronounce it either. Anyway, I, guys, I, well, he pronounced it in a way that made sense to me. Blue. The guy's driving down the road, listening to a podcast, probably the Driving Law podcast, I assume. <laughs> Maybe he was. Maybe that's why he succeeded but ultimately. Let's just operate <laughs> on the assumption that it's the Driving Law podcast that he's listening to, the best podcast there is. Sorry, Mo, um, and uh, Ed the Sock, and. Um, He's listening to the Driving Law podcast uh, through the speakers of his 
vehicle. And he had set it up before he left his, yep. before he put his vehicle in drive. But so he started it beforehand. put his phone in the cup holder. Yeah. And he was ticketed for this. He was pulled over. And somehow the officer determined that he was playing a podcast through the speakers of his vehicle, which I can only assume came from him running his mouth roadside. Yeah. It must have been why, an admission of some sort. Yeah. Which is why, you know, lawyer told me not to talk to you. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how he would know what was being played or that he was playing anything. I mean, he yeah. may have he may have made an admission that was not necessarily admissible had it been challenged. Yeah, and I mean, um, like, even if the windows were down and it was a sunny day and the officer heard it through the radio, it could have been, like, a satellite radio station, right? Yeah, how would you know? You wouldn't know. Anyway, so this was the issue. Was that use? And yeah. if you read the Motor Vehicle Act, it kind of makes it sound like it is. Well, the, there was an interesting thing that they had to start with, which was it wasn't fixed. So the phone was sitting in his cup holder, and your cup holder may be fine if it's firmly holding your phone. But it was loosely holding his phone in his cup holder. So you're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, if he stuffed some some uh, McDonald's napkins in the edge to hold his phone so it was firmly held in the cup holder, he would have had a, a defense right off the top because you're allowed to use it so long as it's firmly fixed. Right. So that was sort of like, I had to wrap my mind around that at the beginning. And that's the thing that I think probably most people are going to need to know about well, if I've they're been, trying to figure that one out. Up until this decision, I've been advising everybody. You're playing a podcast, you're using your GPS, you're talking or anything with your phone, playing your music must be mounted. Yes. Which is just generally good advice regardless of this decision. But I replaced my phone with the iPhone 12 and it's got the magnet charger on the back. And so I could no longer have the piece of metal that I used to have on the back for my magnet mounts in all my vehicles. Right. And it works, fits in my cup holders, and it fits in my cup holders firmly, like it is cup size. So I've been using it with Bluetooth functions in the vehicle, you know, that I've got that's got Bluetooth functions, and the other ones I'm out of luck. Um, I guess now in my truck, I used to leave it mounted on the dash, and I used to use the Bluetooth, the speaker on it, right. which apparently is illegal, and I shouldn't have been doing that in the old Chevy. So I bought a new stereo. It was surprisingly <laughs> cheap. <laughs> anyway, I just had to find something. I wouldn't have to cut the dash. Um, you see my point. I see your point. Like, so so it wasn't fixed to the vehicle. Yeah, and loose in the cup holder. Loose is uh, loosely defined in the motor vehicle exactly. act. Um, so then the second question was, was he using it by playing a podcast? Yeah. And... Um, but that was redefined in the end. So mm -hmm. the judge moved away from the use because it says in the the uh, Motor Vehicle Act, I mean, it's the Motor defines Vehicle Act. Use. It defines use. And is it in the regulations or in the Motor Vehicle Act? I it's, forget. It's in the Act um, and the Motor Vehicle Act approved screening or approved um, electronic device regulation. And then there's also corresponding regulations potentially, although none currently exist. So the, uh, that are referred to it that can yeah. exist. So it talks about use, but then it also talks about operate. So you may not use, you may not operate. operate. And use, and use, use is you can, defined you know, as operating one of the functions, functions or of features it. of the phone. So the judge went through a long exercise in looking at, at, um, operate. Yep. And ultimately found that there's a distinction between actively using the phone and passively using the phone. So those things that you can do with your phone that don't pose any real distracted driving risk. Yeah. Um, which 
was, um, you know, made a lot of sense when he started posing those hypotheticals to the crown. Yeah. So the hypothetical, if it was in somebody's gym bag and he's listening to it on his Bluetooth, is that uh, an offense? Well, technically, yes. Well, if it's in his briefcase, if it's in the trunk, I mean, if yeah. it's in the glove box. All of those things. All of those technically things. Technically offenses. Technically would be offenses on the interpretation that the Crown had. And the judge basically concluded that that would be a ridiculous interpretation. You know what that hypothetical posing that ultimately made it into the judgment reminded me of? What? The pool noodle. No, I know. Yeah. Because, you know, the defense position in the, you know, the vessel case um, was that hypothetically a pool noodle under that definition would constitute a conveyance and you could be charged with impaired driving for using a pool noodle. And, and the court disagreed with that hypothetical um, and said, well, we'd have to wait for a case on those facts. But, you know, I, I think this judgment reminds us that the logical extension of, a, of an argument or of an interpretation is can include these absurd situations, and that has to inform the definition of words in the legislation. One of my professors in law school, Ron Hopp, used to say, you go to court, you never know what you're going to get. It's like getting stew. He said, sometimes you'll put the ladle in and you'll pull up all peas, and the next time you'll put the ladle in and you'll pull up all meat. And I never thought that that was a particularly good um, uh, analogy, but there is something to it because this was the judge willing to uh, discuss the hypotheticals in the decision um, and use those hypotheticals to demonstrate that it was absurd where another judge probably would not have done that. And you really wonder if a different judge would have come to a different conclusion than this um, sure. looking at, at use. Uh, but now this is where we are. This is where we are. So, um, Apparently, if you are passively but not actively using your phone, it does not need to be securely affixed to your vehicle. My previous advice still stands, notwithstanding. Don't have your phone anywhere the police can see it unless it's securely affixed to your vehicle, because otherwise you're just going to attract their attention. Well, yeah, and if they see the screen lit up in any way, like if you can play your Bluetooth with the screen black, uh, which, you know, I can in my car. Once it's connected, my screen can go dark or I can click the to turn it off. Yeah. Um, I have my phone set to never turn off the screen unless I manually do it. Oh, really? Yeah. Did not know that. Yeah. Never noticed that. Yeah. I see your screen's on right now. It's on right now. It's been on this whole time. Huh. What happens if somebody else gets your phone? Are they automatically in your phone? Well, n no, because I can lock it. Oh. Um, And I... If my phone is out of sight, it's going to be locked. Okay. All right. It's just I like to have it in front of me with the with the stuff open. I don't mm. like things that are running or working to not be running or working. Well, there you go. Everyone's got their thing. Everyone's I learned something new. Thing. I learned something new about you this week. You learn many new things about me in the course of this podcast, Paul Doroshenko. Speaking of learning new things, the traffic court judicial justices learned another new thing. Recently. Yeah, so we had, I mean, it wasn't just one uh, traffic court decision that we got that was interesting recently. There was, there was two. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, the other it's one was the a post, older. It's the after Christmas um, traffic court decision release season. I think the one actually, well, yeah, no, it was December 29th. Um, we're was behind it? the times reporting on it, but nobody has, nobody has talked about it publicly. So. Drewcock. Drewcock. Is that the one you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. Um, this was a man who was charged with speeding. Um and uh, convicted of speeding and appealed from his conviction on the basis of the fact that there was insufficient evidence at trial that 
two things, two conditions were met. The first of which was that the laser or radar device that the officer had used, I can't remember. It was radar, radar I think. Yeah. It was moving radar. Um, right, moving mode radar, was, was capable of accurately measuring the speeds of moving vehicles. And the second thing was that the officer was qualified to operate it um, and had operated it according to the manufacturer's specifications. These are really like... The third thing, that it was tested. Then it was tested, yes. Um, and these are really like, I think some of the more technical and nuanced defenses you have in a speeding case. Like the, you know, he was speeding, no I wasn't, only gets you so far. Well, the the, um, the police officer in this case testified, you know, that he was trained to use the device. and Constable Witwicky. And that it was, uh, that it was functioning. Um, and that was the extent, really, of the testimony on the, you know, backing up those things. Uh, and the uh, Mr. Drewcock, I think he was self-represented, didn't mm-hmm. didn't challenge it um, at the trial. Didn't go any further into it, and then no. wanted to argue later on when it went to BC Supreme Court that the evidence was not sufficient to establish those things that are established in the previous cases well, as I a test. He, I think he argued it at, he did argue it in his case. He just never cross-examined on it. Oh, did he? Um, okay. Yeah. He made the point to the traffic court judicial justice that there wasn't evidence or there was insufficient evidence on these, on these points, but he didn't, um, cross-examine challenge no. any of that evidence. Like the officer had said, yeah, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a speed measurement device. And, you know, he didn't go that far into it. It was, it was really very summary what the officer said. But he said enough. Just enough. Well, he said just enough. Yeah, and it wasn't challenged in any way by the uh, by Mr. Drewcock. He didn't he didn't challenge him on any of the the pretests. He didn't challenge him on 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 checking the unit to make sure that it was functioning properly. He didn't challenge him on any of his credentials. There was no challenge put to how, it at all. How he knew that it was capable of accurately measuring speeds. Exactly. So none of that was was put to the witness, and that was where things fell apart when it went to BC Supreme Court because. The judge said, ultimately, that, you know, the police officer gave enough. He gave enough. He gave enough. He might not have given enough if he'd been challenged If he'd been challenged and that was all he could have said, then that would have been maybe something different. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, if he couldn't have gone further than that, and and I think, you know, it was really a police officer giving a summary. Yeah. Um, And, you know, that's the thing. When you're direct, when you're giving direct evidence, um, you're sitting there thinking to yourself, you know, this is what I have to say. Is this what I have to say? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can miss things. You can forget things. You can, you know, not provide it. Um, but he provided enough pursuant to his training, I guess. And then when he was cross-examined, there was no cross-examination on those points. Which is why everybody should buy my book, Cross-Examination, The Pinpoint Method. But it doesn't help you when it comes to traffic tickets. It does help you when it comes to traffic Well, tickets. it helps you with cross-examination, but... You need to know about moving I'm mode radar. I'm my book sales here. You need to know about moving <laughs> mode radar. And we had training with Grant Gokatro. Gosh, if only on someone would write a book on police speed measurement. Well, maybe I'll write one. Maybe you should. Um, the other thing, though, that I found really interesting about the Drewcock case, and this probably, like, you could have cared less about it when you read it. Yeah. but. The traffic court judicial justice had said Garrity. So this was the case, the very old case that says, you know, there has to be some evidence that the unit is capable of accurately measuring speeds. And then 
I think guarantees from like the 70s or something like that. Like it's really, really, really old. I, um, I don't think it's that old, but it's old enough. Well, you know, yeah. you were born in the late 60s, so you're, you're going to feel that way about something from the 70s. But I feel old. <laughs> um, no, the point, the, the point was that that case said that. And then there was this line of authority that started to develop um, that tended to be followed without reference to Garrity. And it was just kind of implicitly accepted that Garrity had been overturned by this line of authority when they weren't necessarily inconsistent. And the second line of authority essentially said, well, the technology on laser and speed and radar measurement in speed enforcement's changed. So now we can just accept that laser and radar are, are capable of accurately measuring vehicle speeds and we don't really have to get into it. So it's not necessary to require evidence of that. But this case actually reconciled those two streams of authority. Yeah. And, and it said... And in a smart way. Yeah. And it said, it was... look, there's not evidence if it's not challenged. It's not necessary if the issue isn't challenged. But if the issue is challenged, then Garrity still applies. And, and there has still... to be evidence to and persuade the trier of fact. And it's still good law. And it's still good law. And I really like that. I like the, the way that these two seemingly divergent lines of authority could come together to both mean the same thing. And it just makes me think... Shouldn't that be happening in America right now? Coming together for the same thing, yeah. Um, the um, a lot of people I'm in touch with uh, talking about America have been pointing out the uh, various different things in the protests, the various violence over the years, and and people, you know, loudly calling for um, harsh things toward Trump and uh, then trying to compare it and contrast it with taking over their legislative assembly. And I think it's very different, but it is also useful for me to look at the two of them and consider it because the, um, I mean, I think Trump exacerbated the schism on both sides. However, um, I never have liked the rhetoric. All I want is for Donald Trump to, if he's charged with anything, have a trial at which all of the admissible evidence is put before the trier of fact, all of the legal defenses available to him are advanced so that they can be rejected, and that he have the fairest of trials possible. All I want is him to be out. I'm looking forward to the 21st. <gasps> the 21st of January Less is when 20, 2021 starts for me. Less than a week. I feel like we're still in 2020 and I'm hoping that it's going to go out. But yes, I'm worried about, uh, uh, of course, COVID's still going to be here. So that's the way it goes. And the new variant is now all over BC probably. Well, no, there's four four cases. Well, four cases. Three they, related to the one that... Four cases that they've managed to test for the variant because we yes. don't test as many people as other provinces and we don't test everyone for the variant. It's a random sampling. Speaking of COVID. We always end up on COVID to some extent. Well, here, but... so does everything. Um, but speaking of COVID, I think important to talk about very briefly is this issue that was floated today, um, today being Thursday. John Horgan uh, gave a press conference today. And one of the things he said was that the provincial government is seeking legal advice on what to do about travelers to Unne and from unnecessary travelers you know, non-essential travel yeah which would include driving because you could drive to alberta and there's nothing stopping you from driving to alberta or driving to whitehorse or driving fuck anywhere in canada well he also introduced another potential definition so it was he wasn't even 
considering essential travel. Um, he wanted some sort of special essential travel. Yeah, super so, essential. Super essential. So, I mean, you've traveled to Alberta for trials and you've yep. been, uh, you know, you, we are an essential service lawyers. Yep. Um, and, you know, for a trial, would you be permitted to go, but would you not be permitted to go for a discovery if it could be done by Zoom? Or maybe you can't even go for a trial if, you know, John Horgan's new definition comes in. It's hard to say. But the bigger issue, of course, is mobility rights. Yeah. And this is, I mean, this is the question. A lot of people want to know, how can British Columbia just close borders? First of all, the border to the U.S. and not allow international flights in. They, there's no way they can do that. They don't have the authority. No, they're not responsible for the international border. So, I mean, if they decide to claim that they have the authority in some sort of emergency you know, that won't work. What 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 authority do they have in an emergency? Paramountcy. They don't. Okay, they don't. but hang in an emergency. Okay. No. What happens if there's a they? Okay, they they're not responsible for the waters, either. Okay, they're not responsible for the Georgia Strait. And if there's a uh, oil spill, and the federal government didn't do anything, and the provincial government came in and started doing something, would people be complaining about it? No, but that's that's completely different because the federal government here has designated four airports in Canada as the international arrival airports, one of which is YVR. So British Columbia can't like supersede what the federal government has done for the travel in and out of Canada of people seeking to come to Canada for whatever reason and shut down international travel from the airport. Well, Calgary is an international one of the airports and same with Toronto and yep. both um, Kenny and Ford said they were going to send further medical people to the airports to screen people. And I wonder if that ever happened because it's, again, that's federal well, I know jurisdiction at, at, at the airport. At Pearson, they did create little testing stations. But did they do it as a result of the of the uh, provincial government in Ontario or did they did it at the, at the behest of the federal government? But look, it's one thing to say, we're going to screen people coming in and make sure they don't have COVID but then allow them in one way or the other. If they have COVID, you know, monitor them more and get them the treatment they need. And if they don't have COVID, monitor them anyway. I, it's a little bit like wasteful to just do more screening because you can't stop them from coming in. They don't have the power to do that, right? Like that's CBSA is the one who turns you around at the border. Which, you know, all of this is very unclear. Um, and uh, the question is, can they stop you from driving across the border as a as a province. I mean, they had an agreement in the maritime provinces and they set up methods of dealing with it that were maybe less restrictive. But they had an agreement. But they had an agreement. Are but you going to get an agreement from Jason Kenney? Remember the last time we had like no, a... No, 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 we're, we're not. Like and, a pissing match with Alberta? And that's not the point. Wine, oil, meh. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> the... Uh, no pipeline? We're not going to buy your fucking wine. Yeah. And we backed down. Did we? Yeah. No, we didn't. We just gave up. The federal government bought the pipeline. Is that the same pipeline or a different I pipeline? Remember. I can't remember. That was that was a long time ago. That was like another yeah, lifetime ago. It was. Rachel Notley. The, um, no, no, no. That was Kenny. No, I think that was Rachel that was Notley. Kenny. Was it? Yeah. No, I thought that was... Nope, thought, no, no. Yeah. Rachel Notley would never have done a stupid retaliation like that. Uh, I don't know. Somebody's going to correct us. The uh, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, it's an interesting thing, and it brings us back to the lack of clarity um, in what the government can and can't do in this situation, in this n government situation that the government had not 
no government really planned for to the extent that they could. Uh, and they're, you know, making decisions day after day. And we have this recent case in BC, a family case where uh, the judge started looking at the regulations and said, look, like I, I can't, you know, there's no certainty here in nope. this law. And, you know, I, I'm just going to have to wing it and uh, came to a conclusion that it was safe for this family to have their children with either parent, despite the fact that the uh, one parent was uh, dating someone who was living with her, her husband still at the time. Um, but that lack of, uh, that lack of clarity in the law, uh, and in this, in the, you mean the it, polyamorous relationship? Yeah. You didn't really phrase that. Well, I don't, you know, not to scandalize anybody. The, um. It's not scandalous to call a polyamorous relationship a polyamorous relationship. We should I, be destigmatizing polyamory, if sure, anything. Sure. I couldn't think of the word and I, and I agree with you. Um, but my, uh, point was that, uh, you know, is it law? Is it, uh, is it a, you know, don't leave the country for vacation wasn't, you know, wasn't against the law. Nope. Um, this is yeah. strongly encouraged. Strongly, not some to go. things are strongly encouraged and some things are against the law. And I had, uh, you know, a, a, a friend of mine who's uh, with Sense BC has been, you know, uh, in touch with me and, and we're messaging back and forth about, uh, about, you know, is this really a violation of the law? And I was like, well, you know, you go start cruising through government websites and you find things that appear to be a statement of the law and things that don't be a statement of the law and some things that are just encouraged. And getting back to cell phones, if you go to ICBC's website, you will find lots and lots of statements of what you can and can't do with an electronic device, which they all just refer to as distracted driving, that are inconsistent with, <laughs> with the, the interpretations of the law. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, like, even if you were to say in BC, okay, you can't leave BC except for essential reasons. The definition of what's essential is so massive. It can include maintaining a property in another province. Exactly. So if you live in Golden and you own a condo in Calgary, you know, short little drive for you. It's usually the other way around. You live in Calgary and you have a condo in Fernie or Golden, but yeah. Or you live in Dawson Creek and you have a condo in Grand Prairie. Okay, there you there go. There you go. Uh, <laughs> who willingly lives in Grand Prairie? Um, I like Grand Prairie. Don't knock Grand Prairie. Yeah, I don't. I'm from Alberta. Uh, yeah, you are. Um, it's just, it's a Grand Prairie. Like, okay, don't brag about it. <laughs> um, no, but it, like if you, if you live in one province and you have a property in another, you can get in your car and you can drive to that other province province under the guise of doing something related to your property you we have a provincial roadblock imagine at the you know papers please what is it the 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 kicking horse pass uh, you know if they'd put up is that the one between golden what's the one that goes through golden oh by yeah. yoho national park yeah i don't know this whatever it's that me. one i've driven it a bunch of times and now i can't remember crow's nest kicking horse whatever it's kicking horse i think so yeah anyway if they put up a provincial roadblock there and they're like what's your purpose for departing bc oh well i own a condo in calgary i'm gonna go do some maintenance on my property okay essential travel off you go and you drive to the fucking airport and you get on a plane and you fly to hawaii and you have a lovely time in hawaii nobody could fucking stop you well, you'd be committing an offense, but nobody would stop you. Nobody could stop you. You'd but, already I mean, went to Calgary. You went to your property. The important you did your thing maintenance. is you could go to Home Depot and, and buy a hook and hang it in your kitchen yep. to hold your uh, And it wouldn't towel. be an offense. And then you could get on the airplane and fly. Yeah. yeah. 
Like, there's just so many ways around it that I just think it's, even if they were to do it, even if they were to figure out a way to do it, and it didn't offend against any, you know, extraterritoriality or any paramount. Well, everybody's always or... looking for ways around the suggestions, um, and most people are looking away for ways around the suggestions that are safe, Did or they perceive safe. Did you just how I got interrupted there? Sorry. So how sorry. would they ever enforce it, What I was was what I was going to say. Well, yeah. And again, I, what I was interrupting you to say, and I'm sorry, I apologize, <laughs> is that um, there's, you know, a few different types of people. There's the people who will follow any, the guideline because they recognize that it's smart and it's safe. And then there's the people who will look for, you know, workarounds where they think it's safe. You know, they're the ones who are meeting in the, uh, in their driveway with their friends and things like that. You know, those are the, this, the safe workarounds. Then there's, you know, that's a spectrum. Um, there's people who are, you know, will take some fairly significant risks. You know, the people who go to the yoga studio, for example, um, and, you know, they're working with the real workarounds and sort of counting on, they're sort of working on the magical thinking that they can't see it. So it's not there, or they're working on the less magical thinking that they don't really believe that there's a virus or part of them is suspicious about it. And then there's the people who completely disregard it and who just like, are complete jerks and, and there it seems many. to be and there's a lot of them and there seems to be uh sort of it's on the spectrum it's on a spectrum and there's lots of people there's a bunch of people who are you know i found out one of our employees uh, uh partners is just living at home the entire time because just doesn't want to go out period because of covid which i had no idea um interesting is that a a is working from home and yeah. has just has made the decision i'm not putting myself at risk and not somebody who's got any particular risk apparently i mean huh. i don't know that much detail about it but the uh um i'm gonna ask you after the podcast who is this well sure but i mean it's like the uh various people are dealing with it in, in different ways and the government makes recommendations and don't put it into law and finally you get to the point of where you're in ontario Mm -hmm. And they end up going to this lockdown state, which again is unclear. Uh, in Quebec, they have a curfew. In Ontario, they have a lockdown. Mm -hmm. as, and they, they describe it that way. Uh, but you're not allowed to be out of your house unless you need to be. Well, in, <laughs> so. in, in Ontario, they call it a stay-at-home order, I think, right well, now. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, before we move on to your favorite part of the podcast, I did just want to recognize that if you are going to travel to the U.S., you might want to bear in mind that in the last week, the U.S. has had two days, I haven't checked for today yet, um, two days where deaths nationally exceeded 4,000 people and amounted to one quarter of all deaths in the world. So they don't have a quarter of the population, just... Yeah, not even close. Three hundred and thirty-six million people in a, in a globe of seven billion people. A little less than three hundred thirty-six million now. Um, yeah, I don't like to make any jokes about it. The uh, they're going to have a. I heard a doctor on the other day from the state saying that by the time it's done, they figure they're going to have a million deaths in the U.S. Uh, more deaths as a result of COVID, and it it falls squarely in my mind on Donald Trump's shoulders. Look, he spent the last month and a half, spending all his time, all the government energy and resources of the entire ruling party, challenging the results of an election rather than saving lives. And I just think that's shameful. Well, from the start, 
from the start, uh, you know, they didn't have the pandemic plan and they were in denial at the beginning. And there's so many sure. different steps they could have sure, taken. But lots right of countries were in that same position and they fucking got their shit together. Ca I mean, Canada wasn't much better. We no. were kind of in denial and definitely didn't have a plan in place in well, lots of places. But part of it is there's a, you know, 30% of the population in Canada are Trumpists, apparently. So. Yuck. Okay. Well. Uh, move to America, please. <laughs> Actually, don't. No, I like America. No, no. Move to like Mexico. <laughs> don't move to Mexico. <laughs> move to an island that is unpopulated by anyone else. I can't think of anywhere I want them to move. I don't want. Don't them. subject it to anyone. Okay. You could, like, perhaps there's one state that we could encourage people to move to. Let's just put them all in. What's that place in Ontario that everybody makes fun of? Oshawa? No. Sudbury? Sudbury. Let's just put them Peel? all in Sudbury. <laughs> Sudbury. I was thinking South Dakota, but I've been to South Dakota and it's quite lovely South and I wouldn't, lovely. That. I wouldn't want that. Don't do that to the Dakotans. I know. I know. But they're already sort of there already. <laughs> all right. So, Paul, it's time. There's not a lot of things I look forward to in this life these days, but I do look forward to this. The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. I this sent week. you this one. Yes, you did send me this one. So this week, our Ridiculous Driver of the Week is not just one driver, but six drivers. <laughs> so... Six Edmonton City police officers driving their police cruisers near Calgary Police Headquarters on their way to a funeral procession for uh, that actually quite very sad Calgary officer that was killed in the line of duty when a guy ran over him at a roadblock. Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. He was a young officer. His wife's pregnant with their first child. She's like seven months pregnant or something. So they were it's on their miserable. way to the funeral procession in Calgary, and they crashed in Edmonton. In Edmonton or in Calgary? Or, sorry, in Calgary. Um, and there were 12 police officers in the vehicles, two per vehicle, a driver and a front passenger, um, minor injuries. But how? how? All the cars damaged. Six, six police cars. And apparently it was like one of those chain reaction, like rear end situations. Following too closely. Following too closely. Like you have six police officers, people who are supposedly trained in, you know, driving tactics Safely. And, and skills. and they... But safe driving. I mean, they're there. Look at the reason that they're there. But they like, weren't in the funeral procession. They were I just on their know, way. I know, but they're driving to a funeral procession. It's not like they're driving to a, uh, responding to a call yeah, or something like code. that. They're driving in the, the, at the particular time where they should be just carefully driving on the roads in a manner that's safe with each other vehicle and not likely to lead to a collision. And instead they end up in a six car pileup. All their own cars. Um... Apparently. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, if you're the people of the city of Edmonton, uh, you're paying for it, right? Because, it's you know, your tax it's your tax dollars paying for work. it. Those police cars are not, I don't think, insured. I think the insurance is the city uh, paying for it. You're, mm -hmm. you know, they, they repair their own vehicles or they pay to have their own vehicles repaired. I don't know that they have 
liability insurance they might but they're not you know what are you going to make a claim against the other police officer here for the liability on the vehicle and and you've got you know if they're injured they may all end up with workers comp i don't know well two got minor minor injuries or sorry one one officer had a minor non-life-threatening injury but of course this was at the time this was reported as we know with accident cases it can take a little while for your injuries to show so we're going to have 12 police officers who are off duty because they can't work because they've been injured as they smashed up their six police cars while they were in Calgary doing something that was, you know, a legitimate reason to be there, but obviously not driving in a manner that's safe. I just, I, I don't understand how, like, the Edmonton equivalent of the Independent Investigations Office is not looking into this. Well, somebody's looking into it because somebody's going to want to know. Somebody and I, One pay. would imagine that they were, they are digging into it, but, you know, as you know, uh, the, um, <laughs> the, 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 there's not a... I'm sorry, it's just so stupid. How do you crash six police vehicles? Will they? Will the journalists dig into it? One wonders. Yes. But will the city release the information? No. Who knows? Well, you think about it. Years ago, the Abbotsford Police Department had an investigation and a bunch of officers were suspended and there was a bunch of guy had cases that fell apart and we never heard anything about it. I have no idea whatever happened with it. I know what so, happened with it. It was yeah. in the media. It was like a like a three-sentence story. Was it? Yeah, no charges ended up being approved and everything, turns out, was kind of overblown. Okay, well, there you go. There you go, right? So. So the sensationalistic story made it in the media and the explanation about it being overblown didn't. For those of you who are interested in next week's episode of Driving Law Podcast, I want to give you a little taste of what we've got coming up for you on the podcast. Next week on the 19th, there is a case proceeding in Nova Scotia Court of Appeal involving a guy named Mr. Grabher. Um, emphasis on the, the H that's probably otherwise silent in her, his name, Mr. Grabber. Um, he tried to get a license plate with his name on it, was issued the license plate, and then it was retracted as a result of civilian complaints. And this case engages driving law and free speech rights. So we're going to have the big free speech discussion. Am I going to be here for that? Is I don't know. Okay. But that's, well, our, that's forward, our next week. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that because I'm, I'm, I, I need to, I need to learn about it from somebody else. I don't have my, I don't have fixed opinions on it. So I'm looking forward to that. Okay. Well, and if you need to reach us in the meantime to talk about a driving law related issue, you can find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com or give us a call at 604-685-8889 and tune in next week for that exciting episode of the Driving Law Podcast.